Hi, I'm Courtney Carthy. This is a bonus episode of Scale Up from Launch Vic, an extended conversation with Martin Hosking, founder of Redbubble. In reporting the series on Culture Amp, I was lucky enough to spend some time with other successful founders from Melbourne and Australia. We've chosen Martin for the parallels between Culture Amp and Redbubble. Both are founded by people with a working history prior to creating the companies. Both chose to remain in Melbourne and build head offices here. They're 450 metres from each other. And both companies do a significant amount of business internationally. If you're a founder or contemplating a move into entrepreneurship, do listen on. Martin has some fantastic practical insights from his experience. And please leave a review where you're listening. And if this is the first episode you've heard from Scale Up, it's worth starting back at the episode titled 10,000 times 10,000. Here's Martin. All right, recording. Uh, That's a little bit loud. Hi, I'm Martin Hosking. I'm the uh, CEO and co-founder of Redbubble. We're here at the Redbubble headquarters in Melbourne uh, in Collins Street. Great. Um, It's a pretty amazing room we're in. Can you just give us a quick description? Uh, So we're in the original uh, NAB, National Australia Bank, boardroom. It's a uh, listed uh, room, so it's a wood panelled, and it was where those uh, in that era, the old gentlemen would have come to make the decision for the National Australia Bank. Um, quite a contrast to what you're doing now. Yeah, very much so. So the, our office is in, is in sort of uh, in two distinct natures. So we've got this room and we've got another room, which is also a heritage-listed room. And the rest of the rest of the office is a very modern office, open plan. You know, very much what you'd expect in a Silicon Valley or Australian tech startup. Um, just Redbubble in a in a sentence. What does it do? How does it do it? Uh, Redbubble is a marketplace for independent artists and designers. So artists come to the site, they upload images, and then consumers will come along and they'll be uh, created through a print-on-demand model for those consumers when they buy. So we're very much an international site, about 600,000 artists, uh, 94% of sales are outside of Australia. Great, very succinct, a lot of information there. Yeah. Why did you choose to build your head office in Melbourne? Um, for me, it was really a lifestyle choice. So I, I was uh, part of a company called LookSmart, which was one of the companies, early companies to look back, listed in the NASDAQ back in, you know, you know in 1999. Uh, we returned to Australia, uh, and I was interested in the technology, and I was interested in, uh, you know, I was living here. So the decision really was forced by a lifestyle decision to be here and uh, then to be involved in technology. Um, boy, things must have changed since LookSmart. What have you noticed? Uh, things have changed very dramatically, yeah. So that, that original era was all about uh, on hype and hope and promise. Uh, I think we've become a little bit more realistic. There's still a fair bit of that around, but you know, people are looking much more for stronger business models. They want to understand the fundamentals. Um, and I think that the, those, it's much clearer uh, what a technology and what an internet company actually looks like. So people can evaluate them and they can say, yes, these have the capacity to make real money. That wasn't the case back, uh, back there in the original uh, dot-com one. I can sort of draw uh, the similarities between yourself and DDA in that you've worked in um, significant companies previously and you know, you're not straight out of uni and starting a, a brand new company and hoping to scale up so much. Uh, is there value in that path that you've taken? 
Um, I think so in general. I think that it's while the, there's obviously the tales of famous of the sort of people use, leaving university and starting a, a starting a startup, which then comes to dominate the world. You know, the uh, Mark Zuckerbergs and the Bill Gates in his time. Uh, most founders, though, and most successful companies are started by people with a little bit more experience. Um, and so, you know, clearly it's a bit courses for courses. Uh, but I think if you looked across the, um, you know, uh, the, probably more particularly in Australia, you'll find that. Uh, at least a reasonable proportion of them started by reasonably experienced people. Can you give us um, as many examples as you care to of mistakes that you made and then you know, lessons you learned? Uh, both from Looksmart and from uh, from Redbubble or primarily from Redbubble? Oh, we'll, we'll go, you know, one, one from Looksmart, two from Redbubble. Okay, that sounds like a plan. Uh, so I think the biggest mistake which we made in the case of Looksmart was we were never really clear about what our customer value proposition was. Uh, we were never clear, you know, thinking through who the customer was and what we were delivering for them. And so that then becomes that then becomes a cascading problem. It means the strategy is hard to get together. It means you you never you know it's alignment is actually hard internally. And so that that was just a, a lesson which I learned that you want to get try and get that right and you want to get try and get that as right as soon as possible. Um, in case in the case of Redbubble, let's think of a couple of mistakes. Um, um, I think that we, we made some uh, platform choices earlier on which were difficult. Uh, so we had uh, some of the infrastructure which we chose was, 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 was problematic. Uh, we could have early on decided to have gone to AWS, we, even though we launched in 2007. You know, AWS was available then and that would have certainly have been much cheaper and, and better for us. I think if you can get your technology platform right early on, uh, that's extremely helpful. Um, other mistakes at Redbubble? Uh, you know, I think that we had, um, you know, underestimated the, the time and the challenges of actually getting a two-sided marketplace up and going. You know, two-sided marketplaces are very difficult, uh, and it took us, you know, three or four years before both sides come into play. Um, I think that, you know, for people starting a marketplace business, I'd sort of, um, I'd caution them that it's you know be, be you're going to go through a valley of death likely, and that's likely to be there for some time. It, it's it, they're just hard to get going. What's it like in the valley of death? Oh, I think it's you know um, recently uh, uh, Paul Bassett from Seek was said that you know uh, when th when things are tough in a startup that's when you show resilience, and when things are going well that's when you want to show a bit of humility and even a bit of paranoia. Uh, in and. Every startup's going to have that, 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 those, those weeks and those months uh, where you just have to be resilient. And I think at that point, you have to have a reason for doing it other than money. You know, companies which I see fail are because there's not some fundamental strong motivation which people have. And in our case, we had, you know, there was, a, was very much in line. We thought we were still doing good in the world, even if we weren't making any money. Uh, and I think that, that that keeps people at least, you know, a reason to get up in the morning and come to work. One of the problems with the Australian economy is that it sort of it does have oligopolistic characteristics of sort of a microeconomist, uh, or the sort of the entrenched oligopolies, as one might might say, and perhaps even um, uh, less less favourable ways of describing them. But highly, highly entrenched, very substantial businesses, which are very hard to disrupt, very hard to move, and we've had examples of companies which have tried to move against them in different ways. Um, you know, we have had successes, so clearly the emergence of Seek against uh, Fairfax and, uh, and REA against Fairfax is an example of something uh, of, of, of disruption really occurring. Um, 
but it, it, it is true that um, the scale of the Australian economy lends itself to a smaller number of very large players. You look at the banking sector in Australia, there's really only four or five banks which really matter versus the US, there'd be four or five banks per state or probably more. Um, and so it's, you know, it's much harder to get a, to really get going in that situ situation. You find it much harder to get your clients and your customers if you're a B2B company. Uh, and if you're a consumer company, actually getting access to the consumers, typically if all you're focusing on Australia can be really challenging. But it's very hard to be a young entrepreneur with no experience or track record and no working product. That's actually very hard. That's the hardest thing to fund. And typically it's one of the things which people get disappointed because they think, I've got a good idea. Why won't people put my money behind me? Well, it's because the, you know, the reason being that, you know, venture capitalists understand that it's in the execution where most of the risk is you know it's 95 percent of the risk is probably in the execution so the fact that you're young and very inexperienced does make it hard to back you particularly if you're not got the experience in the idea you're talking about so when um when these younger companies ask you questions what sort of what's a common one or what what's the sort of answer that that you like to give that you know is valuable for yeah. them to hear well a common a common one and an answer which i like to give is you know and i've sort of dwelt around it a little bit is you you need to have a reason why you're doing what you're doing um, and if the reason is that you want to make money and you want and then then you know choose an easier way of doing it is would be my advice um, you know it you've got to have some sort of strong internal motivation you've got to show and you've got to have resilience because every single entrepreneur is going to go through really tough times in the through that process you know uh, and so without that resilience you're not going to get through you know you, you know Russell and Kogan a company we haven't talked about you know Kogan you hear about the early days of Kogan when he was sort of travelling to China to, you know, quality check the television sets. You know, that's the sort of, you know, um, hands-on work which is often required. Um, so I think that, you know, giving making sure people understand that the, their motivations need to be well set um, and, and ultimately those motivations have got to be around delivering something which you believe to be valuable to customers or to the universe and if you're not going to be your first customer then I think there's often a question about that you know if you're only building it for somebody else then I would wonder you know can you truly understand what it is you're building. What's um what was the most tedious experience or tedious task that you had to do in the first year of Redbubble? The most tedious things. Uh, well, if particularly as a CEO, founder, um, you know, and co-founder, you tend up doing an awful lot. Of, you know, you have to be flipping between different things. You know, my brother's a farmer, rather, uh, and he says that uh, as a farmer, you know, there's lots of boring jobs, but fortunately you don't do many of them for very long. And I think that that's the case if, you know, as a CEO, you, often in the founder of a, of a startup, you know, you may be doing things like customer support. You'd do it for some period of time and then you flip to doing, you know, uh, helping, uh, you know, on sort of, you know, logistics or you help flipped helping on, you know, business modeling or help. So I'm not sure that there's anything which I would pick out and saying it was tedious. I don't think tedium is one of the one of the challenges of uh, entrepreneurship. Why is that? Um, because there's almost too much to do and it's all too important or it's too important in the early stages. So, you know, it's not it's not it's really that I think that it's boring. It's more than because it's too much and you you know trying to squeeze too much in. Can you give me a, a very specific example of an early win and something like a specific example or story of uh, something strange or counterintuitive? An early win with Redbubble was that we, 
as we got going, um, we had artists who were uploading content, and even though they weren't making sales, they were very, very prepared to upload content. So we were just, the sheer volume of work which was being added was actually quite staggering. It eventually did turn into sales for us, but it was you know, just challenging for us to actually scale the infrastructure to deal with the number of Im new images being added every day. So that was sort of a surprising that people were really prepared to engage with the site even though they weren't making sales. We sort of hoped that that would be the case, we, and we hoped that the sales would eventually come, and they did. Uh, but it was surprising how, how early and popular Redbubble was with the artists and how personally engaged they were with us. So, you know, it's, you know we, would, we had a number of events early on in Melbourne where we had artists and we would have you know, hundreds of artists turn up to those events even though, you know, just to, to, to meet with us and see, see what was going on. So that was, that was just a lovely part of the early, in the early days. Um, the other question was... Uh, Counterintuitive experience. Um, well... Sort of a counterintuitive thing was one of the early Redbubble models was that we thought that the artists would be good at driving sales and sort of relates to the first question. We thought that because artists would join that they'd also bring sales. They, most artists aren't very good at bringing sales. They just want to add their work and the sales happen by themselves. So it counterintuitive was that we didn't... I used to call it... I thought it would be like the Girl Scout cookie effect, which is an American analogy, where, you know, you, the, the, girls, the, everybody, the Girl Scouts sell cookies because they sell them to their friends and family, you know, Tupperware parties. We thought that, that there would be a bit of that happening in Redbubble. It never happened. You know, most artists aren't good at driving sales at all. Okay. So where did the sales come from? Uh, we had to do it. We had to, we had to do it with you know, strong organic search models, good social models, and then paid marketing. Right, that sounds like a, like a slog. It was a slog, yeah, and it, we've had to get good at it over the years, yeah, absolutely. Right. Did you ever think about pivoting, just out of, just out of interest? Uh, we did one pivot very, very on. So the very first pivot was when we decided that we wanted to become a marketplace for artists and designers. Prior to that, we'd thought about it as a personalisation service where you would upload an image and then buy it for yourself. You know, buy, upload an image and put it on a dog bowl and buy it, that dog bowl. We pivoted away from that when we realised how boring it was as an idea. Have you ever had a fight or a confrontation with, with one of your investors? I think you can have pretty tense conversations with them, yeah. Um, you know, I think that that's, that's not... It's par for the course in a way. Um, I think that you can... Yeah, I think that those... There are... There is, you know, misalignment of expectations or if you don't meet expectations, you know, with people's personal wealth, you know, realising that those can be sometimes quite challenging conversations and that's, um, you know, I think there is... You, you have to be pretty sensitive to that. So, yeah, I think, yeah, well, I've certainly had tough conversations with investors over the years, yeah. Um, have you ever sacked somebody, using the Australian term, um, and um, do you remember it? Uh, do you remember the first time? Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, the first time I sacked it, I did it so badly that at the end of the meeting they didn't know they'd been sacked. I wasn't, you know, so you, I was being far too subtle, yeah. Yeah. Was that on purpose or no? No, it was. It was just. But I didn't know what I was doing. And this is sort of a false compassion or a false empathy, rather than being really clear uh, and actually knowing how to do it well. I just wasn't clear enough at all, and so they didn't really know they'd been sacked. It was just uh, you know a false false compassion. I take it you've learned and you're better at oh, it. I, mean, I, I hope so. I hope I don't have to do it very often though. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've learned the value of 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 being you know direct, compassionate. And understanding, but you know, not not being uh, so not overdoing it, and and being too sensitive to my own what I'm feeling rather than what they're feeling. And uh, a couple of things that you like to do when you're not working. 
Uh, I work on a farm, uh, so I've got a, I've, I, I tend to work on a farm. I'm, I've, I've got, yeah, not with my brother, but with, uh, I've got my own farm. Fencing and those sorts of things, tractor driving, you know, all of that sort of stuff. That's Martin Hosking, one of the founders of Redbubble, chatting to me at their head office in Collins Street, Melbourne. For more information about entrepreneurship in Melbourne, visit launchvic.org. LaunchVic is Victoria's startup ecosystem development agency. It helps to build the infrastructure for entrepreneurs and startups here, whether you're on Collins Street or in Curran Borough. If you've enjoyed the series, please share it with a friend or colleague. Leave a review where you're listening. I'm Courtney Carthy, and thanks for your time on Scale Up.